We've got news for you, Songcraft fans. Live music is officially back, and the multi-platinum chart-topping band Shinedown is hitting the road this spring for the Revolutions Live Tour. Not only that, but they'll be joined by special guests and fellow chart-toppers Three Days Grace and From Ashes to New. This is a show no hard rock fan is going to want to miss. So check tour dates to see where they're playing near you and get your tickets now at LiveNation.com. Welcome to Songcraft. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. You're listening to Interstate Love Song, co-written by our guest, Robert DeLeo. He'll join us to talk about his solo album, Lessons Learned, and dive deep on the songs of his legendary band, Stone Temple Pilots. Grammy winner Robert DeLeo is best known for his work in Stone Temple Pilots. Collaborating with lyricist and vocalist Scott Weiland, Robert wrote or co-wrote the music for many of the group's classic songs, including Plush, Creep, Wicked Garden, Vaseline, Interstate Love Song, Big Bang Baby, Down, Hollywood Bitch, and Between the Lines. Outside of their music in Stone Temple Pilots, Robert and his brother Dean have also written and recorded songs for their band Talk Show, as well as Army of Anyone, which is a collaboration with filter frontman Richard Patrick. Since the death of Wyland and subsequent lead singer Chester Bennington, the DeLeo brothers and drummer Eric Kretz continue to make music as Stone Temple Pilots with current vocalist Jeff Gutt. Most recently, Robert has released his debut solo album, Lessons Learned, a deeply personal collection of original songs. Featuring a handful of guest singers, it's a different sound than listeners might expect from DeLeo, exploring the vibes of Laurel Canyon, Americana, roots music, and a healthy dose of one of Robert's musical heroes, Glenn Campbell. In this episode, you'll hear a lot of great new music and gain a deeper appreciation for some of the amazing Stone Temple Pilots catalog as Robert grabs his guitar and breaks down some of those classics in mind-blowing depth. This is one of our favorite Songcraft conversations, and you definitely won't want to miss it. Part 1 Well, Scott, I've been waiting about six months to say this, but welcome back to Songcraft. We're back, baby. Yep. And what have you been doing for these six months? Uh, I have mostly been sitting here, uh, staring at the wall, wondering where you went. Well, I thought you were the one that wanted to take the the break. Were you waiting for me? Uh, well, if I'm going to be honest, I, uh, we took a break, uh, because I was working on writing a book. That's right. That's what it was. Uh, yes. And How'd that I, go? I wrote one chapter, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I thought maybe it'd be easier for me to blame this on you. Yeah. Uh, right. Because I, I, I don't have a, well, look, it is a fairly long chapter. I'll say that about right. it. Uh, but at this at this rate, you'll be able to put the book out by the time you're, what, 85 or yeah, so? Yep. Yeah, I think so. Watch Perfect. for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it has been a while. We recorded Songcraft for several years with no break. Yep. Uh, we did 200 episodes. I think that was a solid season one. <laughs> and uh, after a few months off, here we are back with season two. Yeah, ready to really dig in. I think you know, we just scratched the surface with those 200 episodes. But the second season is when you yeah. really get serious, I think. This is the white lotus of podcasts i think season two is going to be the yeah. one that people are talking about yeah no sophomore slump for us can we just go ahead and say that absolutely not um yeah i mean we're coming out of the gate with some really great episodes and i i have to think that the one we're coming out with today is actually one of my personal favorites yeah i said something in the intro about this is one that our listeners won't want to miss and that wasn't just uh hype i mean yeah. i think this is um, no joke, uh, of the 200 episodes that, that we've done, uh, Paul and I would both say this is one of our favorites. Yeah, Robert DeLeo of the band Stone Temple Pilots, which is a big part of sort of our formative years as music lovers and musicians. Um, a huge band, I'd say one of the biggest, one of the most important bands uh, yeah. in the rock genre of the last 30 years. But on top of that, what a nice guy. And, oh my gosh. And I think the nice guy prize for us was held by Mac Davis up <laughs> right, to this yeah. point. He kind of held the trophy. Of, and I don't want to take that from Mac. No. Posthumously. I don't want to do that. 
But I will say that that Robert is very deserving of being in that conversation. Yeah, I would I would say that Robert DeLeo gets the 2023 Songcraft Mac Davis Award for a great guy. I love that. <laughs> and we're going to come up with an award for the worst guest as well. <laughs> right. um, we're going to talk about that off mic. Um, but if you if you've listened to all 200 episodes, you might have some idea who the contenders would be. But, <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but no, what what a fun episode uh, to to talk about these songs that were so important to us and. And, and just even to see like the trajectory of that band and and then what Robert's doing now as a solo artist. Yeah, and very unexpected, and you guys are going to hear all about this, but his solo work is not uh, what I thought it would have been, but I really dig it. And, uh, you know, just talking to him and, and look, we talked to a lot of different um writers and artists on this show and some people are maybe country fans and some people are pop fans some people so maybe there's people that are going yeah you know stunt temple pilots is not my cup of tea all i have to say to you is stick around because yeah. i am a huge fan of stunt temple pilots and i even gained a deeper appreciation of how well constructed their songs are and the layers of complexity to uh, the way that those songs are put together. Um, and I guarantee you, if you don't know much about Stone Temple Pilots or you're not like a big hard rock fan, uh, I promise you, you're going to walk away with a yeah. real appreciation for the musicality of this group. And, and mainly because he actually pulls out the guitar in yeah. the interview and plays through a lot of these riffs. So he'll show you what chord structures he was working with that kind of led him to the song. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that he might pull out the bass and show us a few things being yeah. the bass player of the band, but he yeah. didn't. Yeah. And as the bass player for stone temple pilots, we'll, we'll leave it to Robert to kind of reveal how he does his songwriting process. But it got me kind of thinking this morning about um, what bands are there where the bass player is either the primary songwriter or one of the, primary songwriters mm. and and I was kind of racking my brain on this the first one that popped into my head was Nikki Six from Motley Crue because okay. he's you know a lot of times the lead singer writes yeah. the songs and and Nikki Six writes all the songs for Motley Crue I, that's the first one that you came up with for <laughs> that is the for first bass one. player songwriters and bands you didn't think of maybe the police with no. with Sting or uh, well uh, I think there was a guy in the Beatles who played bass and he wrote some some right. songs yeah but let's talk about Nikki Six <laughs> <laughs> let's not talk about Paul McCartney actually you know I think the last concert I went to uh, was Motley Crue so that's probably uh, why that was right. in my head looms large yeah, in your legend yeah, yeah. Um, but you know you've got guys like uh, Jack Bruce from Cream or yeah. Lemmy from Motorhead uh, Brian Wilson Wilson was the bass player in the Beach Boys. As it turns out, actually, it's it's extremely common. I guess <laughs> is it is it maybe more common than actually having a guitar player write the songs? Right. Is, is this the norm, and we just don't right. know it? What we've learned is that bass players are the driving force behind all music. Should we just change the name of the whole podcast to Bassecraft or something like that? <laughs> right. Yeah, Bassecraft Nine Thousand. I think would yeah. be like I don't know. Does that sound like Spacecraft? I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm I'm hoping that that joke wasn't a low point. You know, if you. Get my... Oh boy, your base reference. Yeah, that's uh, you've hit bottom. Part two. Robert, welcome to Songcraft. Scott, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Paul, thank you. Yeah, it's great to speak with you. We've been listening to your music for a long time and uh, um, really am taken with your solo album, Lessons Learned, which just came out last year. Um, you know, after all these years of hearing your music, that's your first solo record, the first thing that's, you know, under your name alone. And, you know, the interesting thing to, to me about that record is I kind of had in my mind what I thought it might sound like uh, when I, when I put it on, because I know you, you know, as a lot of people do from stone temple pilots. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a cool rock record. And I put it on and it's very Laurel Canyon. It's very Americana. It's very rootsy. Um, and it's, it's something that I didn't expect. And I was refreshingly, I just, I loved it. I mean, I thought it was kind of out of left field, which is the interesting thing about songwriters and artists, right? They, you kind of know them for one thing and maybe you're actually only seeing one side of their personality. So, uh, I'm curious just to get your thoughts on, you know, a little bit more the, the, the breadth and the depth of your influences as a songwriter, which are obviously much more than just rock music. Well, sure. I, I think, you know, for, for people that have listened to Stone Temple Pilots and not really have delved into the, the complete catalog of, of, of songs, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, I've always tried to 
throw in the influences uh, that I've grown up on from being a little kid. And um, I always thought it was interesting to just throw all these kind of things into uh, the rock pot, so to speak, to make uh, rock music a bit interesting. You know, I've um, tried to, you know, incorporate some bossa nova into uh, some country, some some R&B uh, into, into uh, certain Stone Simple Pilots uh, tracks along the way. But, you know, when you're writing for other people and trying to, uh, you know, get those people really excited about what you're presenting uh, for a record, um, it's one thing. But, you know, this record to me represented my intimate time with my instruments, um, namely my acoustic instruments, because that's a special time for me. That's that's almost therapy for me. So yeah, that's usually what comes out a more uh, uh, kind of calming, peaceful uh, area of, of my writing. Um, and, you know, it, it always starts acoustically for me. I always pick up an acoustic, but it's 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 really where you take it. And that's the beauty of music. You can paint any kind of picture you'd like. Um, but I just decided to keep these songs uh uh you know in, in this in this area of being a little more tender, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to many of the artists that you work with, there's a lot of guest vocalists throughout the record. And some of these are, are not names that will be immediately familiar to the public. How did you, you know, people like Pete Shoulder or Kara Britz, how do these relationships form? Well, Kara, uh, um, we've recorded uh, some stuff before that um, actually the song Everything that's on the record, uh, we recorded that back in 2014. Uh, that was a song that was re uh, probably the, the 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 earliest uh, kind of journey that I was starting to take, and uh, that's uh, David Pilch uh, with uh, Joe Henry. Uh, whether you're familiar with Joe Henry's work, beautiful recordings, and beautiful songs. Can't you see? I just want you to be. back a few years uh and pete uh pete actually tried out for stp when we were doing a uh an audition a worldwide audition and uh when i heard pete's voice it, i just thought you know he might not be the guy for stp but he's definitely the guy for uh this this music that i've kind of uh delved into um and a, one of my favorite vocalists period Tim Bloom and uh, Jimmy Necco and uh, Johnny Irian and everyone uh, was really suited for the songs that I was uh, choosing them to be on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everyone just really handled the the songs well, and not everyone can. Uh, you know, it takes a, 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 an immense amount of putting down your ego mm. and having someone say, um, "Do you mind singing these lyrics and these and these." Uh, these these words or, or these you know these the melodies and you know sometimes people would probably go yeah I think I've got something better you know <laughs> but I, it was it was so close to me that uh, I I had to get these uh, lyrics and melodies across with this music yeah yeah you know I listen to a song like love is not made of gold and it has such that dreamy kind of Laurel Canyon vibe. And then there's songs like she brings the rain or a new or what will be They're They're nearly meditative, you know, in just that kind of laid back folky vibe. Should we turn then just walk away? 
a phrase a moment ago you said something about your delving into this kind of music um i'm curious is was that delving that began like in your teenage years in your formative years or is this something that is uh, kind of a, a more recent deep dive for you oh it began when i was a young kid i my first concert was was the carpenters and uh you know i i was the kid who was looking at the back of records and opening up the sleeves and seeing who was producing and who was writing and where they were recorded. And, you know, I became really familiar with Burt Bacharach and Paul Williams and all these great writers who made those songs, uh, you know, what, what, what they are still. Mm. Uh, it's a true testament to um, people like that and the people that played on those records. You know, the Wrecking Crew played on a lot of that. Herb Albert. And all these people that uh, contributed to such an amazing uh, time in music that I always uh, cherish and, and carry with me. And, you know, the, the, the songwriting era of uh, I witnessed it firsthand, you know, in the, in the early 70s. And it, it, uh, it, it changed my life. Um, and it started from there. It really just started from there. I've always held those songs with me. And uh, it, it, it's, it's been a lifelong uh, appreciation of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. My wife and I were walking our dogs a couple of days ago and she asked, you know, who you got coming up uh, on Songcraft that you're going to be talking to. So I told her, uh, you know, we'd be talking to you. She reminded me about when uh, she was a teenager, her, her curfew was midnight and she uh, lived out in like a pretty rural area. So she'd be racing home down these country roads in Virginia uh, where it's super dark and she was like listening to Stone Temple Pilots' Purple album uh, nonstop in the car. And then when that little tag thing at the end, the second album <laughs> thing came on, she said it like really freaked her out. It scared her. And, like on these back, there was something about the quality of it that kind of uh, freaked her out. You know, the <laughs> it was spooky on a dark country road. Uh, kind so of like it's someone in the back seat. <laughs> totally <laughs> right. <laughs> Second album, twelve precious melodies worth listening. Hope you enjoy them. Like if it's so she was reminding me about that, which I had. She told me that before, which I think it's hilarious. Wow. But, but then she wow. kind of added offhandedly, she goes, "You know that what's so cool about Stone Temple Pilots is all their verses have these badass guitar riffs." But then their choruses are so melodic and, you know, it's like such strong pop music. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and as you're talking about, um, you know, Paul Williams and Burt Bacharach and you strip away the, the, you know, guitar sounds or whatever and get down to the melodies, you always have had that kind of sensibility about you. Yeah. You know, Scott was always, Scott and I were very in tune with uh, melody and, um, we shared the same love for it. Um, and in that sense, it, it was always, the writing was always about uh, the song and where we can take that journey of the song. And that's the beauty of music to me is where you can take that journey, whether it's lyrically or melodically or musically. Yeah. And I mean, if you can get all of the above, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing journey yeah. um, that I love to take. And, and I have a passion for, writing and and challenging myself and 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 doing that it's a, it's a it's a love of mine that i can't ever 
quit or put down. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, there's melody and there's lyrics and with a lot of the Stone Temple Pilots stuff, um, a lot of those songs, you were writing music and Scott was writing lyrics. Sometimes you were contributing to, to lyrics as well. But, um, you know, with the with the Lessons Learned record, you know, I think there's three songs on it that are co-writes and the rest are, you know, written by by you solo words and music. Was that um, kind of a, a creative stretch for you to to be the the lone guy in the room working on some of this stuff? Well, I think you know the main theme of it is uh, you know personally is 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 heartbreak and uh, love gained and love lost and uh, you know it's a universal language that's been spoken for so long and uh, you know I just kind of wanted to create my version of it um, and. Uh, you know, there's nothing really new being said. Like I said, it's 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 heartache and heartbreak. And um, but uh, you know, it, if I pick up a guitar and start uh, singing a melody, the words just kind of fall into place. It's just a matter of the placement of those words and how they, you know, how they how they how they rhyme, how they speak, how they how they sing, how they come off the tongue. You know, that people can pick that up. I mean, I think most of the time, I think of people uh grab grasp onto a melody first before the lyrics but um if like i said if you can fill in the lyrics with something that uh pleases you um then you've then you've got something yeah well it's it's interesting you say that about people grasping onto the melody because i was even thinking about you know those those early stone temple pilot songs in particular and how they had titles you know a title like plush which doesn't necessarily indicate what's about to happen in the hook lyrically, right? So if somebody's, right. and I'm, I'm sure the radio team was like, can you call it something else? But, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know it, it, versus, you know, Pearl Jam's got a song like Alive. You're like, oh, it's that song where they keep saying Alive or, you know, yeah. Evenflow. They keep yeah. saying that. But, you know, Nirvana comes out with Lithium and, and that's not a word that you're going to hear at the center of that. What, um, I'd be interested in hearing about sort of what drove those types of decisions when it came to titling those songs and, and what the public would grasp onto. You must have really trusted the riffs and the melodies. Well, I think for Plush, I think that was Scott's idea to call the song Plush. I think um, he was probably uh, a little lost on where to uh, go with uh, the title of that song. I think I think he was going off the feeling of what it gave him. Hmm. Um you know, I, I think that's really, you know, I used some major sevenths in there when I wrote that. And, uh, you know, um, I, I think I think Scott was kind of going off the feeling of, of, of what the song gave him. I think that's how some of the titles came about, really. Somewhere I read, uh, and I guess had been pulled from some interview with you, that the chord structure for Plush was inspired by your love for uh, ragtime music. And I, yeah. I, I have never put on that record and been like, "Is this a Scott Joplin record?" Uh, what, <laughs> like, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I don't know if you can hear this. Can you hear this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the chord structure in the intro is literally just. It's that. Huh. Right? So I just took it and put a different bass note on. I went down to G and went. Huh. And then I just added one. You know, I always used to do these exercises going. I used to do that all the time. So I just took and put that in with the. Oh man! <laughs> oh my gosh! If that's all it is. It's wow. just that, and then the. 
That's the chord. Yeah. Man. Yeah. You know, I think the volume and the distortion may fool you, but if I hmm. if I kept that in a in in an acoustic format, I think it would have came out sounding or or maybe uh, steered you in a different listening yeah. direction. Right, right. Well, you know? and it's interesting you said uh, you you kind of changed the baseline, and for you know some of our listeners who might not be as familiar or might not be aware you are the bass player in Stone Temple Pilots and I am, you know I am. there's there's not uh there's not a ton of bands uh that I can think of where the bass player is uh is credited with a lot of solo music writing in the band um Walk us through that a little bit. I mean, do you do you actually write starting from a bass line sometimes, or how no, does being a bass no. player influence it? No, I, I I'll write something like that, and then you know the challenge for me as a bass player is where to fill in the gaps there. Mm. And that kind of you know. It's just a, it makes it fun for me to lay everything down and then really pick out those uh, spaces to where to put the, the bass. Uh, but I started out on guitar. I, I mean, I've always written on guitar and I've always picked up a guitar. I don't play much bass. You know, I play bass when I have to. Um, oh. I play uh, guitar when I want to. Yeah. Um, and that's that's usually where I where I head to is is guitar and just it uh, it's soothing for me you know yeah well I look at a song like Plush I look at a song like Creep I mean these are songs very early in you guys' career as a band and yeah. it seems like you guys already had such a radio sensibility I mean Creep has so many sections where you could be like that's hooky that's hooky oh wow there's still a chorus coming that's hooky take time with a wounded hand cause it likes to hear I don't know if it's an, even an answerable question as to where those instincts came from, but you sounded like radio veterans right out of the gate. Yeah, I think Creep was one of those songs that I wrote, and I, I, that's an example of keeping one acoustically, you know, and, and it, it did have that kind of, I mean, I could have put that on Lessons Learned, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's just a matter of building that song into something but maintaining the space in the song mm. uh that song has a lot of space in it but it has a lot of hooks in it um and that's that's something that i think um is slowly losing its importance it, it is is arrangement 
Mm. You know, arrangement means a lot to me these days. Uh, it always has. Arrangement, and, and I go back to people like Burt Bacharach, who was a brilliant arranger of, of songs, a new one to put something in your ear on both sides and, and in front and in back with ear candy of, of, of the song. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a skill. It's an art to do that. I'm still learning. Um, but people like that, uh, the, the old, you know, I, I just got done listening to Charlie Rich. Mm, yeah. And those records are brilliant. Um, cause there's so much amazing ear candy in those, those songs and everything is a singable hook. I found when I was little, I was, I was whistling, uh, you know, arrangement stuff that would come in whether it was a string line and that's how i i learned it from an early age when those parts came in they they were the parts that you know as well as the melody those were the parts that were catching my ear yeah yeah, yeah. arrangement ear candy you know right we really are the products of what we listen to aren't we yes i think um you know i always tell uh younger people that you know the uh what do you what do you do and i said just listen to everything you can Hmm. Listen to, you know, music from the past 200 years up until now. I mean, there's brilliant stuff in classical. There's brilliant stuff in blues. There's brilliant stuff in country or whatever you want to call it. It's all music that, uh, you know, you accumulate through the, through the years and then you apply it to your own, your own art and yeah. your own feelings. Yeah. But you have to have that catalog to kind of go through and you know, I, I this guitars. You know, it's it, I listen to. That's Brazilian music. Yeah, yeah. I love Brazilian music, and the chords that Jobim used, and amazing, amazing yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. and, and all that just kind of, kind of seeped into my dna <laughs> this is why you guys when i was learning trying to learn songs on guitar this is why you were the first band that i had to use tablature for <laughs> oh, wow. i was wow. actually i felt i was very confident in my ear you know and i would learn these songs off the radio and try to, and then yeah those first couple records come out and i'm like i can't it doesn't sound right like it's not <laughs> this isn't just a normal d chord you know and, and i've yeah. had to figure out how to use yeah tablature. i always tried to you know interstate started as a as a bossa nova song and those chords are So it started out as a, a bossa nova kind of thing, but then I was thinking, what am I going to play? I, I want to play some funky bass, so I had to change it, you know, the whole structure of the song into... And then I could, you know, I could, I could do... Uh, So I could kind of put that in a different format, different different timing and different structure and kind of blend that together. And that's always been a great love of mine, just just putting things in the right keys for the singer, making the tempo right, making, you know, everything kind of fit together. It's and then when you get it and and you're and you're on it, it's like, ah, that's it.
you know, what, what we haven't touched on, uh, you know, and, and most people know this, but the guitar player in Stone Temple Pilots is your brother. And, yes. you know, brothers are always brothers. I mean, how does that go when you're like, no, not like that. I didn't write the guitar part like that. You know, move your finger over. Because those are very oh, specific chord voicings. Oh, there's a great respect for each other musically. And, you know, he's always, I wouldn't want anyone else playing my songs. And, you know, when he has a bass line, uh, that he comes up with, I, I want to play that bass line exactly how he hears it. Yeah, and that's 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 a respect for each other musically. I I I have no problem, uh, and and you know he it's just being you know respectful of each other, and uh, musically speaking, we've just shared a lot of of those great moments. I mean, Dean uh, came up with the bass line for Sour Girl, and I mm -hmm. love that bass line. It's one of the greatest bass lines. Um, and it goes amazing with his chords in that song. So I wanted to make that song the best I could for him, bass-wise. She turned away, what was she looking at? She was a sour girl the day that she met me. Hey, what are you looking at? She was a happy girl when she left me. What would you do? it's unique among what we know of brothers and bands you know um yeah. there, there have been notable examples of of brothers who have a, a very difficult time working together sometimes the musical results are great but the the process at times is yeah, where do uh, we start there no, notably difficult <laughs> Not, looking at you oasis but you know <laughs> yeah yeah then that brings up kind of an interesting question because i think on the more recent um stone temple pilots records uh it seems to be maybe more collaborative musically than on some of the earlier stuff. And, and there are a handful of songs like, you know, Vaseline, for example, you know, all of you guys were, were credited for the music, but a lot of these songs that we're talking about, um, the, the music is either credited to you or your brother. And occasionally you're, you're both working together, but more often than not on those early records, you guys are kind of doing your own thing, um, yes. musically. And I'm curious, um, sounds like you guys work together. Great. What is it that, creatively kind of pushes you guys to go off and, and do your own thing rather than do like a, a Lennon McCartney thing and say, Hey, let's just make all this stuff like ours together. Well, I think we were, you know, there's, there's such a thing as a help healthy competition yeah. and uh, you know, it's always been healthy. It's always been, I, I want to come in with a song that's going to be really as great as it can be. And maybe that pushes the other person. And then they come in with a song that's you go, wow. And then you go, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta like top that. And it's a healthy competition. It really, ultimately, when you leave your ego out of it, it just makes the songs and the album that much better, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Um, speaking of Vaseline, I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting about that song, especially as complex as you guys are musically, you also know when to like keep it simple. And I love how that signature guitar opening lick just kind of cranks through the entire verse. pretty heavy riff and but we wanted to shrink it a little bit it's interesting how we recorded that because that was recorded with two mic. the drums were recorded with two mics in the vocal booth and it's a you know a little kid on two mics and just trying different things we came out of core and core was such a big sounding record and we just wanted to kind of sonically go in in some different directions um i have a, a open g tuning 
uh, Martin in there. Uh, you can kind of hear the acoustic in there. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of just going. What's real, what's for sale? Will kiss and try to take it home. Yeah, it's kind of in there. Yeah. But if I sang it like that, it's it's almost a country song, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Yeah. So that there was, you know, when you break music down, there's different elements of it in there, and and you know, we all understood it. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, when I pull the camera back and I look at, you know, sort of an overview of Stuntable Pilots music, there's so much change and evolution that happens from record to record. Um, yeah. And, you know, when, when you look back from this vantage point, it, it makes all the sense in the world. But I can imagine from album to album, there must have been some trepidation. I mean, even, you know, songs like Big Bang Baby would be, you know, it sounds like Stuntable Pilots, but it might be hard to envision sonically on the first record. Were there people around you, either at the label or on management team or whomever, that were like, hey, guys, don't get away from, you know, everything that feels like the original sound. You don't want to abandon your, your audience. Obviously, you guys didn't, but, you, you know, you might have seen something other people didn't. Well, you know, I, I have to credit Atlantic Records because they were completely transparent when we were making records or doing photo shoots or making videos. They just said, hey, great, just, you know, when you're done. And and that goes to Brendan O'Brien, who was, you know, producing those records. Brendan didn't want anyone around from the record company. And and he didn't allow it. He didn't really allow cameras. I, just, I was just talking to someone and like, do you have any photos from those sessions? I'm like, no, no, I don't. I don't really have any documentation. I have some, some film footage, but really no photos from, from those sessions. And it, you know, we were so insular and involved in trying to make those records, but you know, we, 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 we cranked out purple and I think 11 days we tracked that record and then mixed it in four and we were done in two weeks. And, um, you know, but just the excitement of getting into a second record and going, okay, this is this is our proving point now. We have to, you know, live up to what we did with our first record. Um, but there were definite, you know, production ideas coming in that we were looking at and and differently. Um, we were a little bit, you know, being the first time in the studio during core, uh, I can't say we were studio wise at that point. Um, we were still learning. And uh, I think as time went by, we sonically had a better grasp uh, or a different grasp on what we were trying to achieve. Yeah. Uh, it, it's no secret that Stone Temple Pilots is a band that has experienced a, a hiatus or two in there. Um, and in 1997, uh, during the, the first band hiatus, um, you guys went and formed uh, uh, another group uh, called Talk Show. and. Yes. You guys put out a record. I think everybody loves my car is probably the the best known um, song from from that record. And I mean, it was basically Stone Temple Pilots, but you know Scott was was out of the picture, and and you had a different singer. Was there any kind of difference in approaching the writing process for that record? Because, um, you know, you're still dealing with the same musicians, but it, it is a different voice. Did that cause you to approach the process differently in any way? Yes, I think um, as far as key goes and as far as being uh, as, as, a, as a one of the producers of the record, uh, you know, I think it's a matter of getting those songs and catering them to a voice that's a little higher. Um, little different and uh you know the difference in that voice kind of uh steers you in certain ways that you may not have necessarily went down those roads you never went down with with another singer i mean uh scott and dave coots you know completely different voices and dave was able to reach some areas where say freddie mercury would go to and uh yeah that kind of changed the writing it you know made the made the the songs a, a little different in in color, um, which was, 
I was, we were all up for it. You know, it was great experience. Yeah, I mean, thinking about that, not only in terms of the vocal range of a singer, I mean, you, you've worked with a number of different vocalists, uh, Richard Patrick, um, and now with, with Jeff Gutt in Stone Temple Pilots. And, and I think um, with, with Jeff, it's interesting because, you know, you've got someone who is going to be able to sing the original material, but also have his own voice and, and operate in a certain way as a writer, which yeah. is, you know, those are two different things to kind of manage. Like, like here's how you're going to interact with the old material. And here's what you bring to the new material. That that is a very unique position to be in as a vocalist. It's a challenging position to be in, um, filling shoes and then moving on. Yeah. And uh, I think Jeff really proved his abilities on on the Perdita record we did, which was an acoustic record. Um, and those those were not easy songs to tackle uh, lyrically and stuff. But he he. He definitely rose to the occasion on that. Um, and uh, live, um, you know, as long as I could still feel the way that I felt back in 93, 92 playing those songs, I'll, I'll continue to play them. Um, and with Jeff singing them, it's, it's, it, it, uh, it feels right. It feels right. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say about it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, I really like the uh, the per Perdita album uh, and I like that acoustic kind of vibe. I mean, it's it, it I can see kind of the step from that record to your your solo record. Um, but I listened to a song on that record like Fare Thee Well. And, yeah. you know, it, it f almost feels like a different band than Stone Temple Pilots. But then there's this chord change on the verse line, right? When it says, uh, don't you realize you're everything to me? There's something about that chord. I'm like, okay, that's Stone Temple Pilots. <laughs> my love for old 20s music you know it's it's that that kind of uh ragtime kind of diminished kind of thing that i always loved in music yeah yeah S sending kids to the tablature yet again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know another song on that record uh years is one that you wrote solo the words and the music maybe a little foreshadowing of your your solo project but it's got again that kind of dreamy folk rock feel um which uh, was that perdita album for you kind of a um a door opening for you to explore this stuff further with your your solo project yes yes it, it was uh it was needed it was much needed um i just needed some uh some peace and some healing i guess in my life and that's what uh and and to get out these things that you know as a as a as a personal life journey you know those were things i needed to uh to accomplish hmm. uh explore um and i'm still doing that um i've already started on the next record so wow. oh wow yeah yeah one of the things we often ask writers on the show is do you write like a like a short story writer might where they make up characters and and they you know or or is this kind of more like your your journal is this your your own reflection of yourself it sounds like uh for lessons learned that it's very much it's very much you and your journey it's me it's it's definitely me um you know people have asked me why i haven't sang the whole record uh and you know i thought about that i thought you know it's 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 really i can't do uh you know <laughs> vocally i can't do what these people my friends can do and it's 
I love I love getting other people involved uh, in 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 my songs. It's 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 that thing that you want to hear from someone that you know isn't always coming from inside of you, but it's but it's coming back to you. Um, you know, for instance, Matt Pin, who uh, played all the uh, the pedal steel uh, work. Uh, you know, the work he did in Love Is Not Made of Gold, it it, it brought me to tears. And uh, he took the Dobro solo on that too. And it was just such a beautiful moment that I, you know, was feeling inside. But when I heard it coming back to me, that's that's what uh, sometimes makes you appreciate your own music is, is someone else's involvement. Yeah. background of your zoom shot we see a, a glenn campbell record there's you know a song like lessons learned has some of a glenn campbell feel to it an obvious influence comes a time for everyone when all we have learned is forgotten and you find it all come undone and everything There's a beautiful uh, video to be found out there that I'm not I'm not sure everyone has seen of Stone Temple Pilots actually playing Wichita Lineman with Glenn Campbell. Um, love to you know hear for our listeners a bit about that experience and what his music has meant to you. Oh, uh, that was an amazing day. You know, um, his son Cal is uh, a listener of STP, and uh, Cal uh, introduced us to his dad, who we are huge fans, especially Dean and I, huge fans of Glenn. I mean, he musically raised us and, you know, the, the Glenn Campbell good time hour and, and, and everything that he put his hands on was brilliant. Um, so, uh, when we were doing the record Shangri-La Dida, uh, Scott wasn't around that day, but, uh, we invited Cal and Glenn up and, uh, you know, your little, we were documenting that record. We were filming it anyway. And you never know what some people are going to say about putting a guitar in their hands or asking them to sing, whether they have good memories of it or bad memories of it. And uh, as soon as we put that guitar in Glenn's hands, you know, that those 65-year-old hands became 20-year-old hands. And, uh, you know, we, we, we said, let's let's do this we kind of we kind of prepared i told everyone you know it's going to be glenn campbell day and we should you know we all got together and chose you know there's a great version of uh we we just did it uh we didn't video video it but uh of uh uh, by the time we get to phoenix but that one we we tracked that's that's live brendan o'brien's on uh fender roads and i'm on bass dean's on acoustic eric on drums and Glenn is actually uh, borrowing uh, Dean's uh, 59 uh, Dan Electro um, six-string bass, which uh, Glenn said he used the same thing on the the track in 68 when he tracked it. He said he borrowed it from Carol Kay that day. Oh, wow. Uh, when he, when he uh, made the original recording. 
So uh, it was a rainy day that day, I remember. And uh, after we finished that song, you can you can see uh, Glenn softly says, I, I like that. Mm. And uh, he wipes a tear, um, mm. which was touching because that whole time I couldn't believe that I was actually performing by the time I get to Phoenix with Glenn Campbell. Yeah. And I was holding back from crying too. So we, we finished that song and uh, the clouds kind of parted and, and, and a rainbow came out. And it was just Jeez. one of those perfect moments. And uh, I'm so glad that Chapman Baylor, our uh, photographer, caught all that on film. It's, it really was an amazing moment. It's just, and I love this talk of influences because I think, you know, to the, you know, to the mind that's not looking too deeply, I would picture Stone Temple Pilots between shows in the 90s just blasting nothing but Led Zeppelin on the bus. And, and to think that there was Glenn Campbell, you know, maybe even BJ Thomas. Now we're talking about Burt yeah. Bacharach songs. And, yeah. and you've got Gordon Lightfoot covers on a bonus version of this album. I mean, that, that, it's a really well-rounded um, scope of influences that, that once you begin to describe it and talk about the way these songs are constructed, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, you know, I think I think when you're younger and you hear someone like Gordon, um, I don't know if you really understand the sentiment behind what he's saying. Hmm. But as you get older, I think it's an uh, you, you have to earn that that uh, that taste for for songs like that. Whether it's Cat Stevens or Jim Croce or Gordon, I think there's a there's a certain pain. Uh, there's a certain uh, bit of that that's involved in those songs um and i i think it 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 takes it takes life to uh really get to a point where you understand what they're saying and um at this point in my life you know i i i I completely understand what these people were saying in their songs um and i can relate completely to it so for the for the gordon lightfoot songs i mean it was really a matter of um applying his feelings that of what he was going through personally to mine and i i couldn't help but do those songs that's pete shoulder on both those songs singing both those songs and dave egger on uh strings uh for uh uh your love's return um so yeah that was just out of i i need to do these songs <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Well, you know talking about influences i i'm i think paul and i both are the type of people who you know, when we're listening to music, we're kind of looking for uh, those goalposts. You know, we're looking for the little sign markers of like, oh, is this, was this, did this come from that? And you mentioned that, uh, you know, when you guys got to work with Glenn, that was during the Shangri-La Dada album. And that's uh, a record that has the song Hollywood Bitch on it. Chorus says, uh, "Rockstar life, turn on the switch, Hollywood bitch, so fake that she seems real." And there's this kind of '60s pop tambourine element to the chorus, and I'm like, "Is that kind of a send up of the monkeys, or am I reading too much into this?" Well, the monkeys have definitely, uh, you know, they're they're a, a big a big part of my sonic adventure as a child. I I think I wore out uh, more of the monkeys. Uh, I, is it Carol King who wrote "When Love Comes Knocking at Your Door"? Um, mm, not sure. You know, uh, those songs were were a huge part of that '60s thing. Um, I didn't write the lyrics on that song. I, I didn't write any of the lyrics on 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 any songs. Uh, ah. Scott wrote all the lyrics except for "Plush" that uh, Eric helped him out with. Mm. Um, musically speaking, that's my song. So yeah. that was all Scott. Um, and you know. Um, I never really asked Scott what he was singing about. Um, I, I I left that to his personal um, thoughts and 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 intentions. I, I I never really wanted to ask him, uh, you know, what he was saying in those songs. Maybe I should have, but um, 
you know, uh, I don't know what he was kind of experiencing at the time, but um, musically speaking, yeah, um, I love the Kinks. I love the Monkees. I love the Beatles and that that kind of music. It's really uh, was a great time in in, in pop music. Um, great melodies and you know, um, yeah, definitely, definitely some Monkees influence in there. I think the way that I connect with this music, it almost doesn't matter what the lyrics mean. It almost doesn't even matter what the lyrics are saying. And I don't say that to say that lyrics aren't important because I believe sure, that sure, they are important, sure. but there's such a power to the musicality of it that it, it, you know, like with REM, for instance, sometimes Michael Stipe just admitted that like these words were nonsense. They just sounded good here. <laughs> and, and, you yeah, know, yeah. there's some music that it's just like, it really is the melody and the and the music that is getting across not to take anything away from from Scott's lyrics but i think you know the music is so strong that he almost could have said anything and we'd still be singing along yeah well scott scott uh he really was a poet i have to credit him on his lyrics his lyrical ability and and they did they did have meaning to them they did mean i think every word that he sang had a personal meaning to him and the way he expressed his sentiment towards his taste or distaste towards you know anything including himself was 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 poetic um and and you know my 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 desire during stp with with such a uh, a great singer like him was to just kind of come in with the best song and 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 tease him into or or coerce him into um you know turning him on and 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 getting getting him excited about the song that's that's when you're when you're have a songwriting partner i mean that's 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 your that's your thing is to uh you know make make each each and every one in the band you know really excited about your music and that's that's the joy of being in a band is uh working together and uh actually making that happen we always did we always did work well together and there was never any you know musically speaking never any uh things that got in the way of of what the final goal was which was you know writing the greatest songs we could write well and even even with some of that sort of you know opaqueness with some of the lyrics there are lines that pop out a song like still remains you know i could go one line i go pick a song and sing a yellow nectarine i'm like i don't know what's going on here but then when it says if you should die before me ask if you can bring a friend and that's just one of the most achingly beautiful lines about love that I think I've ever heard. And and so yeah. there's there may not be a cohesive thread to, well, I can tell that this song is about this person or this experience, but there are these whiffs, uh, you know, these one line that'll just knock you on your back. And sometimes that's even more powerful when it's set in a more of an impressionistic background with the rest of the lyric. Right. Well, that's poetry for you. And I always go back to somebody like Jim Morrison, who... Uh, I'm sure you know we'll never know exactly what he was talking about, but um, right, man, he could write some lyrics. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, when you were writing some of these songs that we've been talking about, and and I loved how you picked up the guitar and showed us how some of that. I mean, that was so cool to see how some of that came together. But is this this kind of thing where you would kind of do a demo and even sing? a melody and then take it to Scott and, and be like, Hey man, you know, here's something I got. You see if you got some lyrics for this. I mean, did you go so far as to kind of hum a melody or maybe even some syllables or the way that you kind of heard it in your head? How did that process work of bringing those musical ideas? Well, that's it. I think, you know, I always had that, that mentality of if it's a great song, it'll, it'll, you'll remember it it'll stick with you. If it's not, I've never really had a song where I went, Oh God, what is it that I played again there? If, if it, if it really meant a lot to me, then it, I would remember it. And if I didn't, then, you know, I could have let some go that I didn't think personally that they were the greatest songs I could have written. Um, but like for interstate, you know, I, I had that melody and, um, some other songs that I had some melody. It's natural for me to, kind of go through some songs and as i'm playing them to 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 choose a melody or or you know direct 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 myself towards a melody uh for the song um that means a lot to me that means chords and melody are are really the 
the backbone of a of a great song to me. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, the most recent uh, solo record for our listeners is Lessons Learned. It gives some amazing insight into some of the influences that now it's obvious to me were there all along and I didn't see them. And, uh, you know, your brother Dean also has a, a recent solo record and there's a lot of Pink Floyd influence on there. And I'm like, yeah, gosh, that makes sense. You put these things together and it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we see where you guys have uh, have been at all along. But um uh, Robert, this has been amazing for me and Paul. We've been listening to your music since we were in high school and trying to figure out how the heck you were playing those freaking chords wow. that were so hard to learn. And wow. uh, still can't play them, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've just really appreciated uh, talking with you. This has been great. Great interview, man. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Songcraft. Please take a moment right now to subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can keep up with us on Instagram at Songcraft Conversations or Facebook at Songcraft Show. To join our team and help support our content, become a Songcraft patron at patreon.com. Visit patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can always find us at songcraftshow.com. 